James chapter 5. And this morning we'll be reading verses 12 through 20. And uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, uh, here we are at the end of James. Uh, we've, we've made it through. There have been some uh, passages that have been somewhat difficult to interpret. Uh, also, uh, what, how do we uh, put the emphasis? What, what, is, what is James uh, saying and, and, and trying to say? And, and how do we get the emphasis right? And, and what word goes with what? And, and it was a, a little bit of, of a challenge, but we've, we've been able to get through James and I say that because uh, this morning uh, there's also some uh, issues as far as how we want to interpret certain things. And, and so uh, that will come into play here. And, and as we close out James, uh, once again, I point out that uh, this isn't a, a personal letter. Paul wrote a lot of personal letters, and they would end with uh, travel plans and, and greetings and things like that. Well, James, uh, this is a, a letter written for churches, for believers, and so he doesn't have uh, the travel plans or greetings. They were just uh, for groups of, of people uh, like us, and so rather than that, he will end with some exhortations for us. And so let's read how James ends his letter. James chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. Well, as I've mentioned, James is a great book as, as we've been going through it. But there have been some places where we've had to decide how are we going to interpret certain things. Just the way he uses the Greek can sometimes be a little tricky. And also, another thing he does is he puts in very loose transitions from one idea to the next, almost to the point where you don't know how certain verses fit in. Is it supposed to go with what came before, or does it fit in with what came after, and, and how is it all coming together? And verse 12 is actually 
perhaps one of the most difficult in, in the full, uh, in his letter here, uh, because it just seems to be stuck in there, this, this idea about uh, the oaths. And, and so how does it fit in? Well, we get a good clue with the way he starts uh, this verse when he says, but above all. And what James is doing here is he's actually using uh, a literary function with that Greek phrase. Uh, it's not as though James is saying, now this is the most important thing that I have to say. I mean, he's been talking about submitting to God, and he's been talking about loving others and not showing partiality and, and doing the word, not just hearing it and, and doing it. Those are all big ideas and very important ideas. So when he says, but above all, what he's telling us is, okay, here's what I want you to, to walk away with. It's not so much a summary, but a way of saying, now in light of everything I've said, here are the marching orders. Here's, here's how we go about life. And it does include many of the ideas that he's written about throughout the book. And he starts with this idea of oaths in verse 12, which seems to almost come out of nowhere. Above all, my brothers... Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. And this is something Jesus had actually taught as well back in Matthew chapter 5. Let me read just a few verses from uh, Matthew 5. Jesus said this, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by earth or by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of our great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And you can see James is, is repeating... A lot of what Jesus is saying there, the, the wording is a little bit different, but what is the deal with the oaths here that they're talking about? Well, back in their day, in the day of Jesus and James, oath-taking was a much bigger deal than it is today. Uh, it was a way, and you can go back into the Old Testament and see this, a way of, of guaranteeing the truth. I guarantee you that, that I'm telling you the truth because I'll, I'll swear to it in, in God's name. And if I'm not, then God will strike me down. And, and it was this, uh, that's the way they would take this oath, let them know that they're, they're telling the truth. A lot of times uh, when we think of an oath, uh, we think of uh, going to court and uh, a witness. You know, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and, and nothing but the truth, or, or sometimes we might think of taking the oath of office. Now, there's, there's nothing uh, wrong with that. In fact, uh, that's in Scripture, uh, people taking oaths in a legal setting like that, and, and it's fine, but the problem with the oaths as, as James and, and Jesus uh, talk about it is this. In personal settings, 
There shouldn't be a need that you take an oath, that you promise you're telling the truth. Just tell the truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And, and there was this uh, perversion of oaths back in, in that time, and, and that's carried through to today, unfortunately. But, but especially in that time, there was this perversion where they would swear by something, but then they'd say, well, but over here, that oath I took doesn't matter. And it was a way of kind of circumventing, uh, telling the truth. It reminds me a lot of that silly thing that we would do in elementary school, when you wanted somebody to tell the truth, but then you had to see their hands because if their hand was behind their back, they might be crossing their fingers. And then, apparently, it didn't matter if you were telling the truth. If you had your fingers crossed, it didn't matter. And then you'd find that really desperate person every now and then, you'd have their hands out, but then they would try to tell you their toes were crossed. <laughs> And that's kind of the little kid game of, of what James is talking about here. Don't play these games. You should be trustworthy. Remember, James is writing to churches. He's writing to believers. Your word should be good enough. You know, you, you hear uh, guys sometimes say, I remember the days when a handshake and your word was all you needed. And James is saying, yeah. Your word should be good enough. Don't try to get around telling the truth. You're still, as he says here, still condemned as a liar. You're under condemnation. In fact, it's interesting in Revelation chapter 21, in verse 8, but, but around verse 8, uh, there's this list of, of of people who will be thrown into the lake of, of fire and sulfur, those condemned. And it will mention the ones that you think of, murderers and, and uh, the unbelievers and, and uh, sexually immoral, and, and in that list is liars. It's kind of a big deal. And James is telling us as, as Christians, we need to be truthful and we need to be reliable that when we say something people will we can count on that we can count on that rather than dragging God into our lie by taking some kind of oath or or anything that he's created it's not uh, as James wrote earlier in chapter 4 verse 10 that's not humbling ourselves before God there are some of these ideas that, that come back when he told us earlier about watching the words we use. This is part of that. We should be believable. Do the word, not just hear the word, actually do the word. And so James starts with this idea of vows as he, as he kind of closes out this, this letter, kind of the, the beginning of the end, if, if you will. Uh, he, he starts with this idea is, okay, we, we need to be trustworthy people. And then we need to be prayerful people. And he picks up on that in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And when you think of singing praise, that's basically a joyful prayer. Pray in all circumstances. Whether you're suffering, whether you're cheerful, whether you're sick. And that, that word in, in verse uh, 14 
as, as he talks about uh, being uh, sick, that that word could also be translated weak. Now, as we go on in this passage, this is one of those places where there are different uh, ideas, different interpretations of, of how we want to take things. But I'll tell you right now, we're going to keep things pretty basic here. Because James, in this part, is clearly focusing on the prayer. That's where his emphasis is. But he does throw in a couple of things just to keep in the back of our mind. That, that word sick, as I mentioned, could mean weak. It is somewhat of a broad word. Now, I want to emphasize again, primarily he's talking about physically sick. That, that's the context he's writing here. But it could also mean uh, spiritually weak or emotionally weak. He's talking about being sick, but, but just keep that idea in the back of your mind that, that there's a little bit more to the word that he uses here than we think of. But also notice this when he writes, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Notice it is the sick person who is taking the initiative. Now, as believers, whenever we see someone in need, we should pray. A lot of times we can see an area of prayer before somebody else can, so we should pray for that person. But for that believer who has been praying and is sick, James says, you know, that person should take the initiative and call others in to pray with and for him or her. It, it is the, the prayer of, of faith. Now, uh, the, the prayer of faith here, as, as we talk about this, he also mentions uh, this idea of anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And, and here we have another uh, topic to take on then. There's, there's going to be a couple more here before we're done. So this anointing with oil, what do we do with this now? It's only mentioned one other time in the New Testament, anointing with oil in, in this context anyhow. And it's uh, uh, in Mark chapter 6, verse 13, uh, the disciples were sent out by Jesus, and uh, it says this about them, and they, the disciples, cast out uh, many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. Well, that, that, that's the only other time healing and oil are mentioned uh, together. And neither this passage nor that one uh, really explains the oil. And, and we don't find uh, this oil in any of the other healings. There's a whole bunch of other healings, but we don't find the oil in, in those. Now, some speculate that this uh, oil that he's talking about had medicinal purposes, and, and that's partially true. There was uh, some idea that, that this oil could have been maybe medicinal. Uh, and, and then the idea there is that with prayer and medicine, um, that should uh, take care of things. You know, take, take your medicine and, and also be praying. And I'm not going to argue with that. That's good advice but I don't think it's what James is getting at here. Uh, 
there are some other ideas as well. But as I mentioned, we're just going to keep this basic. What James is, is getting at. at. At the very least, what James is talking about is setting aside that person and, and showing the seriousness of the action. You're praying to God. You're anointing this person in the name of the Lord. This is the God of the universe. Uh, one a commentator put it like this, you're stimulating the faith of the sick person. Now Jesus would sometimes do this when he would uh, heal. Sometimes he would call the sick person to him and have a, a private or semi-private conversation with them so that they understood uh, this is the power of God at work. Uh, one time, uh, in John chapter 9, uh, he was healing a blind man, and, and he made mud with his saliva, and then it says, and anointed his eyes with that mud made with saliva. I don't know that anyone would be happy if he did that to them, uh, but Jesus can get away with that. Uh, there also, there's a, a passage in, in the, the book of Mark that's very similar to that. And it's a, it was a sign of, of God's power, this oil. But sometimes, and I've known people who will take this oil maybe to an unhealthy extreme. It's here, and, and I'm not going to argue that. And I like the idea of what it shows, of this person being set aside. But, but notice what's being effective in verse 15. It is the prayer of faith who will save the one who is sick. It's the prayer. Remember, that's the emphasis that James is going for in this passage. The prayer of faith. Which, here we are again. Back at another phrase that can be uh, misused or misunderstood. Because there are some churches and even well-meaning Christians um, who will kind of misuse this verse once in a while and tell you this, all right, if you're sick and you've prayed and you're still sick, well, the problem is you and your faith is weak. And we've got to work on your faith before you're going to get better. And basically what you've done is double this person's misery. Not only are they physically sick, but now they're spiritually upset because you've told them they have weak faith. And it's, a, it's an easy road to go down once, once you start going down that road, but it's not consistent with Scripture. You think of Paul. Uh, is there a guy that had more faith than Paul? And yet in 2 Corinthians 12, he prayed three times that God would take an affliction from him, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient. We think of Paul's letter to Timothy. Another great man of the faith, Timothy. But in the first letter to Timothy, Paul tells him uh, to take some wine for his stomach ailments. And also, he mentions frequent ailments. It's, Timothy had great faith. And, and what we have to remember, the Lord determines who he heals. And healing is a gift from God. He doesn't owe it to anybody. It's not as though he said, well, now I guess I 
have to answer that. But it is a gift. We put our trust in God. Put ourselves in God's hands. You know, it's the wise doctor who says, I bandage, but God heals the wound. Because there is a spiritual dimension to healing, but we need to avoid the extremes on either end of that. You know, Jesus, in his healing, sometimes uh, he would heal and say, your faith has made you well. And it was, oh, it was faith. Sometimes he would say, uh, you know, take, your sins are forgiven. Go ahead and, and, and walk away. Your sins are forgiven. Sometimes uh, he would heal just simply out of compassion. He had compassion on the people and he would heal. A couple of times he healed to show people their lack of faith. Uh, he, they couldn't heal and so he showed them their lack of faith and he did heal them then. And one time uh, there was a blind man that Jesus healed and the disciples asked him, all right, who sinned? His parents or him? And Jesus said, neither. That had nothing to do with this. This was about the power of God. And so we have to, with all of, of what James is saying and what Jesus showed us, we have to avoid the extremes, but do understand that there is a spiritual element to our healing. And God will heal who he wants, and, 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 uh, and some don't get healed. And I think we've all been part of that at times, where we've prayed for people and a miraculous healing happens. And other times we've prayed and prayed and prayed and the healing never comes. But James talks about something a little bit more than the physical healing. He hints at something for us here. And it's also found in verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And that Greek word, it's the sozo, it's the salvation word. He will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And that, that term, raise up, that gets used uh, a couple different ways uh, in the New Testament. Sometimes it does mean someone uh, sick on a bed, and, and the Lord raised him up, told him to walk away. The term is also used about the end, and the dead are raised up with Christ. And James wants us to understand the Lord raises up all who believe in him. Now some in this life, through the power of prayer, will be healed of their physical maladies, whatever it may be. But all who believe in Christ will be raised up in eternity with Christ. And that's why he mentions the, the confession in verse 16 and this idea of being forgiven in verse, uh, verse 15. And then he mentions uh, the prayer of the righteous person. Confess your sins in verse 16 to, to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And, and ev- this tells us every, every saint, everyone who is righteous by faith should be praying. And our righteousness is found in, in Christ. He gave us his righteousness when he took our sin. We're righteous in Christ, and so we should all be praying. I like how uh, one commentator put it. He said, uh, the prayers of the righteous have power, yet God gives us that righteousness by faith and by the Holy Spirit. Another one says, prayer, James wants to make clear, is a powerful weapon in the hands even of the humblest believer. Believers in Christ, we pray. And that's what James is, is telling us here. And then he gives us this example of Elijah in verses 17 and 18. And, and notice what he, he, he emphasizes here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He doesn't point out the fact that Elijah was this great prophet but that he was a guy kind of like us. And if you go back to 1 Kings and, and start reading chapters 17 and 18 and, and beyond, you will see Elijah at times scared and frustrated, outright angry. At one point, he told God, why don't you just get rid of me right now? I'm the only one who's trying to do the right thing here. Nobody's listening to me, and I'm hating what I'm doing, so you just take me out right now. Elijah served from a position of weakness, and we often find ourselves weak. But he writes about this time that Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years and prayed again and, and it did rain and that was, that was all to show the power of God. And, and James wants us to know that even in our weakness, we have access to that same God, that same Power. One uh, person wrote it like this. We can pray just like Elijah. We may feel weak and lonely. We may feel powers against us. In prayer, we may admit that we fear those powers. Yet our prayers also declare that the greatest powers are unseen. The power of God heals disease and changes the world. And that's why we pray. Because we know our prayers are going to the throne of him who has ultimate power. And so as James uh, continues to close out this letter, he tells us first, we need to be trustworthy. Second, we need to be prayerful. And then finally, he closes it by saying, and we need to look out for each other and keep each other in the truth. Bringing each, uh, others into the truth. Uh, look in, in verse uh, 19 and 20. My brothers, uh, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone uh, brings him back, let him know whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will uh, save his soul 
uh, from death. Now the first thing to note here is that there is truth. There is truth. And, and once again, that truth is the gospel. James is writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. That truth is the gospel of Christ. Our sins forgiven in the blood of Christ. And that's the only uh, salvation we have. And we can't wander from that, neither can we watch passively as others wander away from that truth. Because that's the only truth we have. And it, it's not just a coincidence that he comes into this uh, by talking about prayer first. Because that's where we start. When we see those in our lives wandering from the truth, we, we start with prayer. And then we work to bring them into the truth. And then the question here is, well, whose soul is being saved in verse 20? Is it the person who's bringing back the one that's wandering, or is it the person who's wandering whose soul is being saved? And, and, and we're not even going to enter into that argument. Let me just uh, read uh, what Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. He writes this, uh, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, or by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So if you're wondering whose soul is being saved, doesn't matter what side you take, you're right. I love decisions like that where you're always right. It's not that we earn our salvation because we've brought a brother back, but it's that faith that made us reach out to that brother. It's that faith. You don't bring someone into the truth by saying, well, here, I don't really believe this, but maybe you should. <laughs> We've reached out because we have that faith in Christ. And if we bring him into the truth and he or she has that faith in Christ, your souls are saved. And it is God who saves our soul from death as we look in verse 20. It is God who saves the soul from death. And it is God who covers a multitude of sins. And I love how James ends this letter then. Because as I've been mentioning throughout, and, and we started with James a couple of months ago now, he's writing to us who know that our salvation is in Christ. Who knows that we rely on God for the salvation of our souls and that he's the one who will cover our sin. And so he ends uh, this letter basically by telling us these three things. We are to be trustworthy people. We are to be people of prayer. And we are to keep others in the truth. And those are great marching orders. And it also reminds us as we go into this week of thanksgiving just what we have to be thankful for. Our salvation in Christ. And I don't know if this uh, was written specifically for me or not, but I love how James says, a multitude of sins. 
because I've made a number of mistakes along the way. And Christ covers every single one of them. What a great joy. What a great God to whom we can give thanks. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for covering our sin. We thank you that you've kept us from wandering from the truth. We ask that you help us keep firm on your path and that we can reach out to those who need to hear the truth and bring them to the truth that they too can be saved. We thank you that your Holy Spirit works in our lives. We thank you for the healing that you give us. We thank you that, that we can tell the truth and know the truth. Help us to be dependable and reliable in all things we say and to be thankful in all that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, if you will, stand and turn to hymn 563. We'll sing the first two verses of Count Your Blessings. <laughs>